Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying the back page there. If you want to read the magazine from back to front, it only makes me that much happier and it makes all the people at PLSN happier to know that uh, you're interested to hear what what some chucklehead in Canada has to say. <laughs> I am very, very lucky. I'm relieved. I'm in a very good state of mind right now because I get to reach out to one of my best friends, not only in the industry, but in my life and so anyway, uh, without any further ado, he's one of my greatest friends in the world. His name is Rob Koenig. You guys know him as the lighting designer, director, programmer at Ignition Show Design. I'm sure you've been to one of his shows somewhere in this world. He's done shows on, I believe, every continent. So uh, today is just a, a good way for me to relax and chat with one of my good friends and record it. And broadcast it out to you guys so you can listen to uh, some wonderful discussion between two people who've been in the industry for as, as long as uh, we need to have been. Thank you so much for making a, an hour to chat with me, Rob. That was the, the most honest introduction that I've ever given. Yeah, that was honest. <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little fumbly, you were so honest. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody's looking for a professional podcast, you can just stop right now because this is not, we're just lighting people chatting. If you want to go find a Joe Rogan or something or something like that, or Dan Bongino, somebody, or Steven Crowder, somebody who's actually putting production value into their podcast, just, just click off right now because this is just two people chatting and how you doing, buddy? Uh, breathing through it all as, be as best as I can. Good. Good. There's lots yeah. of breathing to be done right now. There's it's, lots of breathing. Every day, I think that we've flipped the world on its head enough times, but the, the, the next day I wake up and I check my, my news feed, I'm like, oh, we did it again. We yeah, I'm, I, I, I wake up some days almost scared to check the news feed and go, what's happened overnight, uh, you know, locally or nationally or internationally. It's, it's a lot to take right now. It really is a lot to take for those out there in the world that are able to compartmentalize all of this and rationalize it and deal with it. Uh, I applaud you, man, because I'm, I think I'm a fairly strong person for the most part. And I'm, I've had my moments lately where I'm just, I can't believe what I'm, I'm seeing across the spectrum of, uh, of anger and hate and sadness and beauty, you know, and it's just, you know, mm. you just run the gamut every single day. I know at the other end of this, I feel it in my bones that we're going to reach, I pray some new level of utopia that we're going to be better for all of this. We're going to be better 
through the pandemic, we're going to be better because of the Black Lives Matter movement that is obviously uh, affecting all of us right now. Uh, giving us all a pause, giving us all time to reflect and think and reevaluate and see things from different viewpoints. Maybe we never even entertained before. Um, but I really, I'm really praying for that to come out the other end that uh, we're going to visit some kind of utopian society after this. Maybe that's painfully optimistic of me, but I'm really hoping that all of this is, is, isn't for naught. Yeah, we got to have hope, don't we? We got to sit there and just kind of yeah. embrace the optimism and the hope and just say, clearly, there's, there's something. This is all worth something. There I has really to be a so. reason for this. Uh, God, I really hope so. You know, there's got to. A lot of people say that uh, you can't start again until you hit rock bottom. And I, and I, I feel like we've, we've done that a few times now. And I'm just kind of yeah. waiting for that. That upswing, it's, it's uh, coming. Yeah. yeah, because the rock bottom keeps getting lower and lower and lower. And it's oh, like, man. We Where's the bottom, time. guys? Yeah. Where's the bottom? The reason I am reaching out to you is because I've done a couple podcasts recently, and I've had yeah. some people, we've, we keep scratching the surface, but we can't really get to the bottom of these, these some hard questions. And I feel like you and I can dig a little bit deeper because I love your take on things. But a lot of people are, kind of asking me where the line exists in programming and who owns what and what belongs to who. And I'm hoping we can dig a little bit deeper on this one. Okay. So here's a, as a hypothetical situation. I've been called in to program and I've done 30 days of rehearsal and I, I got paid for the first two weeks. And then I didn't get paid for the second two weeks. Then the tour is going to go out and they decide to replace me. Okay. What, what repercussions and what do I have in my toolbox to, to get paid for that last two weeks? And have I been, have I been justifiably fired or have I been, let go in an opportunist situation where like, well, this guy's expensive. I don't want to take him out there. So let's kind of, let's kind of dig into that situation. And uh, first of all, let's ask, has anything ever like that ever happened to you? I've, I've had to wait an undue amount of time to be paid before, but I've never not been paid. Got um, it. As a, and, and from this perspective, we are speaking as the programmer. Yes. Okay. I just want to make that clear, but uh, let's, regardless let's say of, this is all hypothetical here. Sure. 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 Regardless of whatever position you're in is, uh, you know, talking about the programmer side of things. Um, if you're not being paid, then you better lawyer up quickly, especially depending on how much money you're, you're owed. Mm -hmm. But as far, yeah, I've never run into a situation like that. Like I said, I've waited well over 45 days to get paid and hammering on business managers and tour managers and going, Hey, where's, where's the money uh, before? And I've, I've had that happen, but I've, and I've always um, been on the positive side and always eventually been paid. Okay. Really, really tough one to deal with because we're all familiar with that one story. Mm -hmm. The, yeah. uh, the macro six macro six 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 story. Um, yes, we can which, get into that a little bit later. Which, uh, yeah, but it's tough because I so think. So let's go back to this first hypothetical. Yeah, let's go back to this first hypothetical. 
let's say it's me. I'll put, I'll put myself out there. I get hired and I've been paid for the first two weeks, but not the second two weeks. And then they, I get an email. Let's say it's a, an email saying, Hey, Chris, you're no longer needed. We're going to have another guy do the tour. Uh, we've decided to go in a different direction. And you guys, if anybody's listening, I'm putting up air quotes here because that <laughs> kind of is a, it's a general term for like, you're, you're fired. All right. So let's say I'm a, let's say it's 22 year old Chris and I get that email and like, Hey, we're not going to use your services. Can I go on Facebook and say, Hey everybody, I didn't get paid from the, uh, the doodly do tour and they're a bunch of crooks. Me personally, I, I always take the high road. I try to as much as possible. Okay. My thought process would be as quietly infiltrated amongst your friends. Um, there okay. was a situation where I did hear, it wasn't a pay situation, but it was a, this is a miserable experience situation. Do not even attach yourself to it. And word spread around amongst the programmers very quickly to if they call you, don't take this job because they're horrible. They're just horrible people. Don't, don't even look at it. So I think the best way to infiltrate a situation like that is you don't want to be on the hook for libel and slander on a social media platform where somebody can yep. screenshot your post and say, look at what they're doing to us and be sued or have your company be mm-hmm. sued or you personally because a lot of programmers don't operate as companies. Right. So you don't want to be caught in that situation. Infiltrate it quietly, spread the word amongst your friends, let everybody know that they've screwed you out of your two weeks of pay, uh, that they're not to be trusted and get the word out that way by, by going up on social media, uh, putting up a website dedicated to the fact that these people <laughs> screwed you. Uh, I, I always try to take the high road. So yeah. And if you feel the need to hire an attorney, go sit down with an attorney, say, this is, this is what's going on. You have to then be able to prove that you were there. So whatever travel receipts that you may have, uh, photos that you may have of what you've been doing uh, need to be produced to actually prove that you were even there because they could all just go, we don't know who that is. Or mm-hmm. no, he was cut after January 14th. We didn't use him from January 15th to the 30th. Right. So make sure you've got some kind of documentation. Um, what, whatever that may be, like, you know, like I said, your date and timestamp photos or okay. whatever the case may be. But I always always take the high road as much as possible. Okay. So now let's say I am the guy and I'm calling you to say, Hey Rob, don't go work for doodly do. They didn't pay me for the last two weeks. So I didn't give them my, my show file. They're going to have to, I deleted the show file from the last two weeks. So they're going to be stuck with the show file from two weeks before. Are you going to look at me and say like, yeah, that was a great idea, Chris. Are you going to say, uh, you're kind of boning them. What's, uh, how would you respond to that? Uh, I hate to say it. I hate to say it this way because in your scenario, say you did work the January 15th to 30th, like we just discussed, okay? Right. And you haven't been paid yet, but it's right at the end of the 30th and say the first show is on February 1st. Right. And you're worried about getting paid. Well, we really haven't gotten into a, uh, competitive uh, moment of, well, I haven't been paid yet. They've got a couple weeks. They might be running net 30. You might not get paid till March 1st. Mm-hmm. For all we know, we don't know that yet. So you could be screwing them and your future if you don't let them have that show file for the February 1st show. Maybe right. they simply need to fill the tanks up. They've gotten their 
deposits in for the shows. They've used that for pre-production. They still got to get the buses and the trucks rolling and get the vendors their deposits. And the tanks might be running low. Maybe they need to get a week's worth of shows under their mm-hmm. belt to get the coffers built back up. Yeah. So I wouldn't be so quick to make those knee-jerk reactions. I would say give them the show file. Let them do their thing. You get to March 1st and no one's cut a check yet. Start pounding your fist really loud. Lawyer up to right. whatever, whatever you think it is you need to do. But I wouldn't do the knee-jerk reaction so quickly. I agree. Because you know, if you end the job on January 30th, they don't hand you a check on January 30th. I think I've no, seen that sure twice don't. in 25 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've never seen that. I've seen it twice. Like I said, I, it's not something that's an everyday thing. So you might go home and a week later, there might be a check for you uh, 30 days later. It depends on what you worked out with them and how they pay. So I would be yeah. very hesitant to make knee-jerk reactions because then your reputation is going to be uh, is going to be getting out as seen as a problem and yeah you don't want that reputation either you might need to cut your losses from a specific job because they have screwed you and it does suck and it hurts and it hurts you financially um but in the long run what does this mean in my next 20 years does it do i need to really go after these people and make them and shame them publicly or get away all those choices so mm-hmm. every, every, every situation has a nuance as we were chatting a little bit before off air. Yeah. Every situation has nuance. There's definitely a lot of nuance there. Uh, if, if part of that email is like, Hey, Chris, we really appreciate what you've done. Look, we, we can't afford you on the tour and it's not because you're not great. We love you. We'd love to use you. We're going to pay you when we can. You know, as long as there's uh, yes. some due Open respect, line of dialogue, right. then, yeah, then you can say, hey, okay, I get it. You know, you're right. I am pretty expensive. Uh, I, I respect your choice. If you want me to recommend somebody who can go do out on the tour who's available. So, you know, if there's, if there's some, some mutual respect there, then yeah, there's no reason to, to knee jerk. There's right. definitely no reason to ruin your own reputation as a, as a, and present yourself as a wild card there. Right, because uh, yeah, whoever the production uh, manager or the designer or the director may be may have gone, wow, this guy's really like going overboard here. Screw him. And then the word gets out that you're a pain in the ass to work with as a programmer. And okay. as a programmer, you need to be uh, you need to be pliable. I, I call a programmer the chameleon. Uh, the programmer yeah. needs to adjust to every situation that he's involved in. He needs to be a, a sponge and listen to everything that's going on around him, but he needs to make sure he is separate from anything that's happening in the production office or on the stage you're kind of this lone entity out there you don't interact with the artist you don't really interact with production you interact directly with the designer and the director and Mm -hmm. you need to adjust how you work depending on how your designer works you walk into a situation and you're um, working with a designer who designed the rig and says, okay, we're going to program brown sugar now and make it blue. We're going to program this song now, make it red. And he gives you carte blanche to do whatever you want to do. Well, that's a different situation than walking into somebody who oversees every single cue in a show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, somebody who might be a former programmer themselves uh, that look over your shoulder and don't like the way you're doing something would prefer you to do a different way. Uh, somebody who's never touched a console before in their lives might be the designer. So being a, a chameleon of a programmer and being able to take um, take different styles of input 
and being able to run on your own or listen to every single cue dictated to you and be the data entry clerk. Um, you have to be that chameleon. So, all right. Okay. So let's take, that's great. That's great advice. Let's move on. Let's take this, the scenario a little bit further. Okay. Let's say the name of the guy who's replacing me, let's say his name is Tom. Okay. So on February 1st, I have bought a flight or they bought me a flight home. I fly home. Tom does the show for a week and a half. Mm -hmm. And then I get an email saying, so look, Tom's great. We love Tom. He's doing a great job as a person, but he, he, he really needs your help to figure out the show file. We want to fly you to Tulsa to teach Tom what you did and some of your, what, what's happening in some of the, some of the cues and what, what you've done. We don't have enough to pay you yet, but can <laughs> we fly you to Tulsa to teach Tom? Okay, so let Let's me ask you this. Have they paid the first invoice that they hadn't paid you on yet? They paid the first two weeks. They still haven't paid the second two weeks. Yeah, see, then you got to kind of dig your heels in and go, guys, I, I'm not really trusting at this point that you're going to pay me my second two weeks as it is and you want me to come out and spend three more days with you. Mm -hmm. I'm very hesitant to do that. You might see a wire transfer in your, in your account that day. Yeah, uh, It's funny how things like that will sometimes work out. I have been involved in situations like that. It's, uh, I'm still waiting on the last round of pay. So no, I'm not going to do that. And then all of a sudden wire transfer shows up. Well, we wired you the money from the last two weeks. So come on out here and, and help us get us out of the situation. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Once again, nuance. Have you worked with the management company before? Have you worked with the production manager before? Is it trustworthy situation? Do you know you're going to get paid for that two weeks? Have you never met any of these people before? Um, yeah, those are all factors. And you're very scared that you're never going to get you're never going to get a dime from this, and now they're asking you for a favor when they still haven't paid you. Da, 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 da. So, you know the the snowball of nuance once again uh, kind of gets to us a little bit. But I would say if they have not paid you and there's no signs of them paying you, hold their feet to the fire before you start going out and doing them any favors on what you've done. Um, oh. And if you would like to offer up a, a quick verbal communication with them over the phone, let's say I can walk them through a couple of things. That's not a problem, but me flying out there for three days and losing another one, two, three, four thousand $4,000 doesn't sound like a reasonable thing for me to do. Ooh, that's great. So you can use the technology I'll give you a, a zoom call for free, but uh, yeah. if, you, if you're going to get me on a plane, then I want that wire transfer yeah. to yesterday. Yeah. All right, cool. And I think that's all very reasonable way to, to uh, accomplish all of that. Yeah. And if they don't understand that, then you don't need to be working for them. Okay. So now let's talk about Tom a little bit. Tom is a young guy. Poor Tom. He, this is his first time. He's very excited. He doesn't know a lot of stuff. But he, and he's making just enough because he's, he's a single guy. He doesn't have a lot of expenses. So the tour is doing a lot of different size venues. And the production manager keeps pushing Tom to cut some trusses here and there to save some money. And Tom's kind of a pushover. But Tom is called, does Tom have to call me as the previous programmer or does he have to call the designer and alert them about these cuts? Uh, as the programmer, no, it doesn't matter, you know, to the programmer, it's, okay, do what you got to do. You know, I don't, 
doesn't bother me. Um, as the designer, listen, production managers coming up to you as the guy on the road, the lighting director and saying, trusses two and four got to go home because we're, we, I've watched the show. I don't think they do very much for the show. They got to go home when we're spending way too much money on production. Well, he's going to be the one to make that call and it's him in management. Is it mm -hmm. your job as the touring director to inform the designer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Give him a quick call. Let him know what's going on and tell the production manager, listen, I'm going to call, uh, what's our designer's name in this scenario? Um, <laughs> Maggie. Great. I love that. Uh, I got to listen, I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to call Maggie. I'm going to let her know what's going on. I'll tell her not to bug you about this because I get where you're coming from, but I just want her to know what's going on. So when she starts looking at mm -hmm. video, she doesn't think that we're being lazy and not putting up trusses two and four. No, I get, Ooh, good I, get one. I get it. So then you call up Maggie and you go, Hey, uh, they're, they're cutting trusses two and four. I'm probably going to have to do a little reprogramming. I can handle it out here. It's not a big deal, but just so you know, and Maggie's going to be pissed and she's be like, well, why, <sighs> whatever. I don't know why they did that in the first place, that, 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 that. but she's going to have to understand it because at the end of the day, the economics of the tour are at play. Now, if the, no, you know what? That doesn't even make any sense. If the economics of the tour at play and they feel like yeah. they need to make more money or they're not paying the bills that they currently have, they got to do what they got to do. Yeah. If Maggie and, finds out from Tom, oh. she's going to be pissed. Well, if Maggie, Maggie finds out from a, from a YouTube video, Maggie's going to be double pissed. Uh, Maggie's Tom definitely going to be tour. totally because the, you know, Tom being the lighting director for the show is you're kind of a conduit. Um, you're there to work for the artist and the artist management and the artist production management. Um, but you also have a responsibility to the designer that uh, was brought in. Did you work for them prior or were you the pick of the designer? Had you never worked for this artist? So mm -hmm. your the loyalties can be going all over the place with depending on where you're, where Tom lies in that equation. Um, but Tom needs to show that respect. If Tom already worked for the band and was um, not brought in by Maggie, well, then Tom should still call Maggie and go, hey, so you know this is what they're doing. Yeah. And if he was brought in by Maggie, then his number one priority is to maintain the relationship he has with Maggie because it's not his first. It probably won't be his last project with her. He needs to make sure that she knows what they're doing to her design out there. Right. So either way, yes. It just uh, depends on on which direction you're going to take that really. Okay. But I think that does, I think that loyalty, I think you can work that loyalty to where it doesn't bite you from either side and just understanding that, yes, I'm here for Maggie, but I'm also here for this tour. And I'm also here for this artist and this production manager and the, this artist management. Got it. Okay. So Tom should call Maggie just as a heads up, but totally. at the same time, Maggie's kind of powerless at that point to say, Mm -hmm. no they have to have those trust okay that yeah. makes sense yeah maggie's going to be completely powerless and just, and as tom go listen this is not anything you're going to win just let it go i just yeah. wanted you to know so that when you see youtube video or instagram video or whatever you know that those trusses have been cut and i'll do everything i can to help fill that space up. okay great okay. yeah i get it okay you know. next scenario so the the artist has decided that let's say doodly do was trying to use their their new songs right but doodly doos are like man our new songs are let are not hitting we're going to go back to our old songs we need to we need to kind of dig out some old old songs from the programming hey tom 
those songs are all in the console. Can you just refresh those and kind of put those into our new set? Mm-hmm. Does Tom, can Tom use all those old songs that he'd had nothing to do with before? Absolutely. They're in the console. Absolutely. As far as I'm concerned, we get paid, you know, programmers and, and designers, you get paid to create a piece of art, right? And you get to paint over the mm-hmm. top of what the artist is doing and they're paying you for that. I don't care if it's $5 or $50,000 or $250,000, whatever the agreement was, is you agreed to paint the picture of the art that they've created, right? Mm-hmm. So say there's three designers worth of stuff in the console, use it. It's all yeah. there. They've all been paid for their art. Yep. You know, if there was some other thing afoot, well, you know, then you have, then that's up to them. But if it's in the console and it's ready to be used and you need to just dust it off and clone it or whatever the case may be and make sure that it's in there and that it, it looks good, by all means, everyone's been paid for their art at that point. Okay. Use it. So that all, all that programming belongs to the band. I think so. I think I really do think it does. I think it does. If it, if you're paying for a designer and you're paying for a programmer, you're purchasing their services for that art. Um, if they haven't paid their invoice. Well, that's just like, well, you haven't paid for my Picasso on the wall, so I'm not giving it to you. Right. That's the equivalent of walking out with the show file. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, they've paid you. Your invoice is in there you've handed over your work to them. That's there's a, there's a contract and a transaction that have happened. It now belongs to them. Uh, There's, I won't name names, but there is a, uh, a band that at the time was an unknown band that was using an unknown artist's work. At the time the band had $0. They paid the artist flat fee X amount of dollars for his work. The band, okay. along with the artist, become iconic. And I'm talking about a, a paint artist, um, a painter. Um, the, the artwork and the band over the years become iconic. Well, the painter becomes upset because he is now seen as artwork everywhere, on T-shirts, on stickers, on everything else. And he gets upset because he's not been handed a wad of cash as I guess a royalty for his work. Well, but you paid for the artwork outright. I paid you $5,000 for that piece of art. That art now belongs to me. And he's upset. The artist, the painter is upset because he's not getting residuals from now this artwork being everywhere. Well, that's a deal that you should have worked out. You should have spent maybe 1% on the back end if this thing blows up past X amount of dollars. Say you make $10,000 off of this from t-shirts, then I get 1% of everything that gets sold after that. Well, maybe you should have thought about that and hired a business manager to cut that deal, but you can't come back later and be upset about it. Much like the record producer, like a Steve Albini kind of character. I don't know how many people know about him, but Steve Albini views himself very much as a plumber. He's a record producer. And for just his frame of reference, he produced Nirvana's In Utero record. He, could, he looks at himself as a plumber. He comes in, he does the job, he gets paid for the job, and the artist leaves. Now, if that album sells one copy or 10 gazillion copies tomorrow, it does not affect how much money he's been paid. Now, in the long run, that has really screwed him over because he's not doing very well anymore. He's broke because mm. everyone's making records in their back rooms now. The, 
record producers are a thing of the past almost. But there was another story of another producer who had done the same thing, had made the deal X amount of dollars and the record did sell 14 million copies. Well, it's the band does not owe him another dime, did they? Yes, of course. They went back and they handed him a pile of money and said, here, thank you very much. You really helped us create this piece of art. Now, we know there's no back end on the deal, but here's a nice little chunk of money for you. Mm-hmm. Does that happen every day? No, because your contract said, well, I'm going to get paid 50 grand to produce this record and nothing on the back end. If that's how you want to run your business, that's great. That's fine. That's cool. I applaud it. I respect it. Uh, but you have to make sure that you're protected as well. And you can't come back later and go, well, you sold a gazillion copies. I didn't expect that. Go away. Yeah. No bearing on that. You made your decision on how you wanted this business transaction to go down. Yep. If we decided we didn't want to pay you on back end, you may not have produced the record. It may have been somebody else, yada, yada. It may not have done as well. But that's the gamble you take, isn't it? I mean, our whole business is a gamble in this kind of stuff. It sure is. Know. I don't know. You know, we take a gig tomorrow thinking that we're seeing the next big artist and three weeks into the tour, you're cutting trusses two and four. (laughs) The crew's getting smaller. The buses are getting smaller. You're now not at eight people on a bus. You're at full bunks at 12. It's getting more and more uncomfortable. The artist is not doing as well as they expected. You're playing to half houses and you're in danger of the tour being going home any minute in October when you can't find another tour. So this, everything that we do is a bit of a gamble. You just got to make sure you go into it with the right mindset and, Ask your friends, ask, ask these questions. Mm-hmm. So let's take it the next step. So the band Doodly Do, they changed the band. I love the band, by yeah. the way, Doodly Do. They're great, great they, band. They are so good. <laughs> the, the, their hit songs of uh, Diddly Bop and Ruby Goo <laughs> are some of my favorites. I think Hanson covered Diddly Bop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, they make the changes. They go back to their old songs. And now all of a sudden they are going to... They're doing arenas. They went. They were doing clubs and stuff, and then they, they went back to their old songs. Now they're doing arenas, and they need to redo the entire rig, and they're going to make it three times as big. Do they need to reach out to Maggie, or should they? can they just go straight to Tom and say, hey, Tom, just make, triple the rig? What, uh, what, what sort of responsibility does Tom have to Maggie in this case? Because... Tom was hired by the band. He doesn't even, he barely knows Maggie. Can Tom completely change Maggie's design? Um, I think the first question that needs to be asked is sit down with the production manager and get, and say, what about Maggie? Okay. I think that's Maggie's name is still on it. Yeah. Maggie's name is still on it. I think that's the wise move is first you sit down with the production manager and go, well, what about Maggie and production okay. manager might say, we don't have money to bring in Maggie. And then the next question would be was, well, we have all this extra money to bring in all these extra lights. <laughs> Why don't we hire the designer to make sure that all of this goes the way you want it to. And on the flip side of that coin, Tom may see this as an opportunity to take over the design mm-hmm. for the tour. It depends on your consciousness and what you can fall asleep to at night and can you look yourself in the mirror Ooh. how okay. i would handle a situation like that would be sitting down with my production manager and say what about maggie maggie designed right. the show maggie deserves to get the call to come out here and do this he then says blah we don't have enough room for maggie you then argue with him a little bit and being careful because you don't want to lose your job because you got a family at home that, well, it's Maggie's design. We really need to bring her in for this. Well, we're not going to do that. 
So you either do it or not. Mm-hmm. Your next responsibility is to call Maggie and tell her the situation. Okay. And I think that people may be very surprised to know that this can go a few different ways. One way can very simply be Maggie going, do it, kill it, crush it, have at it. I'm busy anyway. It's all good. Uh, If you have any questions, feel free to call me, but crush it, go do it. It may be, let me call management and the production manager and figure Mm -hmm. out what's going on and let me see if I can come in for a reduced fee because they were so generous or amiable the first time. Maybe I can come in and at least help out at a reduced fee because it is now at this point, the band and the artist sounds like it's the gift that keeps on giving. So maybe you do them a favor in return. Ooh, good one. Okay. Maybe Maggie says, you know, I fucking hated working for them. <laughs> I don't want to ever talk about them again. Go do your thing. Um, and in, in which case, uh, Tom just has Maggie's blessing to do whatever. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you just, uh, you have to, once again, we're in the wonderful realm of nuance and what's the situation really like. I was just talking about this very recently on another uh, little webinar that I did. It's a very touchy situation and also if you know i know in this scenario you said that well the lighting director doesn't really know maggie okay mm-hmm. well what if the lighting director was brought in by maggie that's it changes the situation doesn't it changes the situation a little bit does the lighting director then go listen guys this is great by all means i'll give you 10 numbers of people that you can call that can come in and fill my shoes but this doesn't feel right to me. I have loyalty to Maggie and her design firm. I, I'm mm-hmm. leaving with them. So let's get in somebody else here because I don't feel comfortable with this. That's another nuance that maybe we, we didn't take into consideration yet. In your mm-hmm. scenario, director doesn't really know Maggie. They were brought in as an unknown quantity of the guy. The guy has loyalty to the artist, but he should call up Maggie and go, hey, this is what's going on. I was in a situation where the artist, I was not available for a group of shows and the artist was like, well, we need to find somebody. And I didn't find out till about a month later behind my back that people that I knew and trusted had gone and found another design firm to go do something without ever calling me and saying, you've been with us a long time. Would you mind looking at this? Because this is what's being proposed for the next show. I had to find out third hand, not even second hand, but third hand, that I was being removed from the situation. Mm -hmm. Did I think what the design team came in and did was a great job? Irrelevant, but I thought they knocked it out of the park, right? I I loved it, I thought it was great. But to not even get a call to go, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing over here, what do you think? I had to hear about this through a person, through a person, through a person, and then start making phone calls and go, why? Like, I understand I can't be there, but why aren't you even running this through me? I know how this band performs nightly. I know exactly what they love, what they don't love. And I can go, this is horrible or this is the coolest thing ever mm-hmm. and help you guys through the process. But I had to find out that way. And it's not a great way. So I always like to pick up the phone and call. And even if yep. you get yelled and screamed at, it's not your fault. You're just letting somebody know that there's something going on here that you need to be aware of. It sounds like we've gotten to the core here where it's, it's just transparency and open communication. It's transparency. It's open communication. It's, it's um, uh, one of my friends always busts my balls about this word, but it's decorum. It's, Ooh, it's civility one. in the public square. It's understanding that there may be some forces 
uh, at play that are divisive, that are trying to get Maggie, our designer, ousted, that they don't Mm -hmm. want her anymore. It may just be a budgetary thing where it's like, listen, a lighting company is going to use this as a flagship tour and they're going to give us double the amount of lighting rig and they're paying for the trucking. We only have to pay for the labor. Rad. Well, then they want that tour to go out for the next two or three months, shoot the ever living shit out of it. And lighting company, um, Bob's bulbs is going to use this and advertise it in, in PLSN and live design and everywhere he can to go look at what we can do. And it really had no divisiveness to it other than they're getting a smoking fucking deal on some extra stuff. Mm-hmm. But you still need to call Maggie and go, hey, there's all this extra stuff coming in. Yeah. You know, because a lot of the times, let's face it, more lights don't necessarily mean better show. Right. So now we agree there. Yeah. So, so I you know, guess Tom just has to call Maggie and say, hey, it's not me boning you. I'm not you. I'm not the one yeah. boning you, Maggie. It's, yeah. uh, you might want to change your vernacular there a little bit, but Tom boning Maggie there, but <laughs> just, just saying. Production's boning you, Maggie, not me. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, <laughs> just transparency. I just, you need to be, you need to be open and honest about these things. If a band were to add a new song or two, call the designer, get their thought process on it. Maybe they don't have a thought process on it. Just do your thing. I don't want to talk about that tour anymore. <laughs> Production rarely has a me. thought process. <laughs> <laughs> right. Production's uh, usually just kind of going with the whim of the, the bean counters. So exactly. You know, so you just got to be ready for all these different things and you got to uh, analyze them. And, you, all right. and really a lot of the times analyzing these situations, you have to live through a couple of them to really analyze them. And you might yeah. screw up. You might screw up. You might make the wrong call. But that's part of learning through all of this because your situation may be a little bit quirky and you made the wrong call. Fess up that you made the wrong call and just get back to it. I've made a couple wrong calls in my life. You learn from those mistakes. You move on and you figure out how to, how to navigate those waters the next time. It's, it can be tricky. It can be really tricky. So speaking of being ready for these sort of things, I like to pride myself when I program a show that I make it what I call uh, getting hit by a bus proof. Basically, I make my shows so simple that if I were to get hit by a bus, my crew chief could run the show the next day. Do you find yourself using the same logic? Do you try and make your shows simple? No. No, I don't. No, I don't. I play to the operator of the show first off and what he's capable okay. of, but I also will challenge the operators quite a bit. Wow. Um, I am very blessed with a musical background. I started playing piano when I was five and drums when I was nine. Um, okay. And I didn't really think about this until a handful of years ago, but what is lighting, but rhythm and mood, you know, this is what we're here yeah. to create. Uh, I get, uh, chuckled at every once in a while by lighting directors because they'll just look at me with a little squint in their eye and just go, you were a drummer, weren't you? Because there's certain drum hits that I think are super important to the song that need to be hit. Um, and they may be hard to hit, but guess what? You're going to hit them because guess mm-hmm. what? The designer over my left shoulder said that was the coolest thing he's seen all week. So guess what? You're going to have to hit it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I do challenge the operators. I think there's a little bit of me that's going to sound like a, a bit of a 46-year-old dinosaur when I say this, but the time-coded shows versus a live operator, okay? 
I love programming a time-encoded show, but I also like to give myself restraints. And I also really like to pay attention to the music. I think time-encoded shows a lot of the time, not all of them, a lot of the time are overly done where every single hi-hat, every single kick drum, every snare beat, every guitar, everything all at the same time is all happening all at once and there's no beauty to it. It's just, listen, every little noise has been represented by a different light on stage. Mm -hmm. we've lost the beauty of what the song was is it just the guitar lead in this moment is it the melody that the singer singing is it that underlying kick drum what's the moment that you really want to draw out of that piece of music right so when you when you're operating a show live you obviously don't have all the tools that time code has and you've only got 10 fingers. And if you really want to get fancy, maybe a couple MIDI pedals, which I've had to do before, mm -hmm. but um, you have to work within those parameters, but otherwise challenge your challenge the lighting director. You know, they could have zero rhythm whatsoever, but you've got to have them understand it ain't about them. It's about the show. Mm -hmm. It's about that one drum fill that lasted for, a quarter of a beat right before the downbeat is important. And it's going to just, you, you, you hit that drum beat and boom, it explodes into this beautiful chorus. But without that first little note there, without that first thing that that drummer thought to do in the studio when they were writing it, and that he plays it the same way every single night, by you not hitting that, it takes away that moment a bit. Mm -hmm. So I definitely challenge the operators. I don't like to make the shows quote dummy proof. I like to play to the abilities of the lighting director and hopefully I'm with a smoking lighting director that can really nail those moments that can really get it. That can really feel it. That can really dig in to those moments. I love it. You know, I don't like to make the show dummy proof. No. Cool. Uh... I like to make the show dummy proof on the other side of things of, of you can work your way around the console and you can find the focuses and you can find the time code and you can find whatever it is you need. Right. To find. But as far as the operation goes, no, absolutely not. You know, the watch me or watch Michael Keller or watch mm -hmm. uh, Cosmo or watch any of us who still operate live shows. Uh, the Greek, uh, Mike Ionis, he operates live still. And to watch all how all of us operate these shows we all understand music. We all understand those musical moments. We all need to need, know what needs to be brought to the top. Um, and those little nuancey moments are really the, the, the artists love that you just hit that. You just mm -hmm. nailed that one quick drum fill that I just did every single night. You nail that. I love that. <laughs> as, yeah. uh, as somebody who has been on the receiving end of a Rob Koenig, Rob Koenig show file, <laughs> I can tell you he is not shitting you right now. <laughs> His show files are very music oriented. Yeah. So that's what we do. A lot do. of the big hits are in the stack. So if you yeah. miss one of those hits, you're behind. And if you miss it one night, you're not going to miss it the next night because you're going to realize, like, oh, that's where that goes. Yeah, because then, well, then you're handcuffed and you got to go go to Q17 and I got to get around that really quick because if you hit that Q now, you're going to look like a buffoon. Yeah. I've gone out and directed for Cosmo before and Cosmo is very funny because um, he will um, write a cue. Okay. So your first three pickup cues into the song and then you get into the rhythm of the song and that fourth cue unbeknownst to you because it's not labeled. So is completely black. There is nothing in that cue. Okay. The only thing that's in that cue 
there's no dimmer information whatsoever. It's color, it's, you know, whatever uh, beam effects may be, need to be in the lights. And over here on buttons four and five are all your intensity masters, right? Okay. I hate operating like that. So I took a show file when I was covering for him and inserted, say, you've got bumps four and five. I inserted all the intensities from bump four into that queue, queue only, so that now I take the, the same fixtures out of that Q4 and take them to zero in that Q5. So now I've got the main Q that I hit on the stack and now I'm just going back and forth almost as a swap between off and on to Q5 to do that swap thing because he okay. operates differently than me. Mm -hmm. But I was only going to be out there for a short amount of time. So trying to remember every single Q in that show that was going to come up as dark on the stage and have me have a coronary every time was not going to work for me. <laughs> so I changed it to how I would operate it. But yeah, but all those things are super, super important. I really think so. And I think that you don't, don't dumb down the show because somebody can't handle it. If they can't handle it, then maybe they're not the right guy for that job. Yeah, right no, that's a very valid point. You know, if they, yeah. if they don't have any rhythm and you were working with somebody who has exudes rhythm, maybe you're not the right person for the job. Good point. So let's say you are a operator and you've mm -hmm. progressed to director. What are some of the things that operator directors need to be aware of when they decide to move to designer? Is it, are they going to be, are they ready for big time because they've run a few shows? What, do, what should they be aware of when they're going for the, to take that next step? When you're making the dive to designer, uh, you need to be first off aware of the responsibility and the overhead. Liability insurance, don't design a show without liability insurance. Good you point. don't want to get caught with your pants down. So cheap liability insurance, 1500 bucks a year, better liability insurance, about five grand a year. Mm -hmm. That's a cost. You have to understand that you are now relating directly to your artists and your artist management that they want to see something for what they're giving you. They're not just going to give you five, 10, 20, 30, $40,000 to design a show. That's just a bunch of lights. Mm -hmm. They want to see a presentation. So either start learning how to render or have a good friend that will render for you at a reduced rate because renders can be expensive depending on what you're pricey. Do you have something to say? Are you just going to become a designer because it sounds cool to be a designer? Or are you going to be a designer because you really have a vision and you really truly believe you have something to say? I get inspired by specific artists. Some artists that I work with, I don't, think I would design for because I'm not overly inspired by them. Some of them, I can't wait to get a chance to design for because I am very much so inspired by what they do and want to add to what they do. And I have something to say with them. Also understanding that I have managed to, with a lot of people that, uh, that have not managed to do this, I have managed to sit in all three chairs continually because people trust me. I, I can walk mm -hmm. into a gig as a programmer, as a director, as a designer, and not have anybody ever feel like I am trying to cut them off at the knees, that I'm going to go behind their back, try to steal the gig away from them, that you're going to be honest and trustworthy with them. Because a lot of people, and it, it took a little bit of time, but a lot of people won't trust you once you've moved to that designer role. They see you as competition. 
and they mm-hmm. don't want you around their artist ever. Yeah. So you might not get the call to be a programmer. And it took me a little while to get that trust and the people that I work with and I work around to know that I have no other, I have no dog in this race other than to come in and I want to program the show and work with my bro and have fun doing this. And I like the artist and this is fun and I'm going to get paid for it. I have no desire to steal their gig away from them, but understand that once a lot of people move into that designer role, that that's how you are now viewed. You are now viewed as competition. Right. And it's, um, it's going to take you some time to build that trust. If you still want to do what I do and sit in all three of those chairs, because I do, I love operating shows. I also love programming shows and I love designing shows. And I mm-hmm. like that. And I like being, having that versatility. But when you move into that designer chair, understand that you might be leaving other things behind. You might not be able to sit in those chairs anymore unless it's for your own shows. So the overhead and, 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 and that whole thought process about making sure that you know that you might be leaving the, the other disciplines behind. Yeah. There's a, it's a very real situation where when you take that step to designer, you don't really get to deal with lights as much as you would think you get to because you're dealing with so much more politics and Very bureaucracy so. relationships. And, uh, and relationships and and see that's where the good programmer really comes into play because mm-hmm. I can have somebody come up to me and say I got to go do this meeting go just keep going and Okay, now's your time. What do I do now? I've got the set list right here. I know that this song is coming up next. Do I go ahead and program that song? Do I take this hour he may he or she may be away to to clean up the show file? Do I take that time to start working with the lighting director of the show and uh, get their user profile all set up? But forward momentum has to keep happening if your designer keeps having to walk away. And the designer needs to let you know, I'm going to be gone for an hour, two hours, three hours. I'm going to be gone. For, I'm going to dinner. You know, Justin Bieber just came over to me and said, we have to go to dinner tonight. Well, guess what? That means a four hour dinner. Mm-hmm. You guys are stuck here working by yourselves in the next four hours. In other words, impress me when I get back. Some shit better be done. Yeah. So you've got a, you know, that's the, the, the programmer role really is, like I said before, it's chameleon, but you're the, you're the wife, you're the husband, you're the confidant, you're the punching bag. You know, they have to, the designer has to feel comfortable. The director has to come, has to feel comfortable coming back to you and going, oh my God, you are not going to believe what the dance manager just said to me in the dressing room. This is unbelievable. And they need to know that and getting past you. You're their confidant. You're going to be the punching bag. They're going to tell you all these dirty, dark little secrets that are happening behind the scenes. And they need to know that they can come vent to you and it's not going to be broadcast to the rest of the tour. You know, those roles are very important. Those roles are very, very important. Yeah. That's a very valid point. It's something you gotta, you gotta be prepared for because when you're the designer, you don't get to sit and, uh, and look over every, every Mm -hmm. cue anymore. You've got a lot more responsibilities that aren't lighting. I was working on a show with uh, a friend of ours in common and he usually will sit over most every queue. He's, he's really good about it. And uh, he was having to deal with, there was a lot of automation problems. There was a lot of rigging problems. Uh, management was pulling off, pulling him off to the side, asking him loads of questions. And um, we were a bit handcuffed because we didn't know what to do. And we're so used to him driving the train. Mm-hmm. And he walks over to me, just puts his hand on my shoulder and says, go and walks away meaning get to programming. I don't have time. And in yeah. one night I Take knocked art. out nine songs. I was like, 
I don't even know how I did nine <laughs> songs in one night. But when we came back, uh, you know, the following, like we had we had a bit of a hiatus. It was over Christmas break. I was blown away that I'd knocked out nine songs that one night. And that got us so much further along. We went back and we tooled some things and tweaked some things in those songs later on. But um, it was able, it was having me there, having somebody he could trust and not necessarily just me, but one of a handful of guys that he trusts there to say, go and hand us a set list and be able to walk away and go deal with all of this other stuff on a 20 truck tour that he had to go deal with gave him a lot of room to breathe. And it's one less thing he had to deal with, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have to take those moments. Some of the best designers I've ever worked with are sitting at their computer working on the next show mm -hmm. because they know that you're like, Hey, your reputation needs you. You can, you have a good eye. I'm going to look up every 15 minutes and I'm going to say yes or no, or I'm going to ask you a question like, what is, what is that? And well, and see, to me, that's not only a testament of the designer, that's a testament to the programmer. Right. You know what I mean? That you guys have created the shorthand. You know each other's likes and wants. You know what you guys can't stand. And I know that I, as a designer, I can over here and start working on the next gig that, by the way, you're programming with me, so you're going to be making more money. And I can sit over here and work on this while you've got it. You've got it all under control. And just like you said, glance up every once in a while and go, oh, that was that was terrible or just let it go and be that was, that was awesome. Um, you, you know, so uh, yeah, it doesn't, uh, every designer works a little bit differently. And if a designer is super, super slammed, if they're over there working on their next gig, it does not bother me in the slightest, as long as they're giving me the freedom to allow the momentum to keep moving forward and we don't get bogged down. So we are just about out of time. This has been great. I want to get over one last Tom hypothetical situation. Because I think it, it's something that's new and it, it's kind of, it's something that didn't really exist when you and I started in the industry. Uh -huh. Let's say Tom has finished the tour and now he, he has the show file and he goes on his YouTube channel and starts to tell everybody how he ran the show. And let's say even he gets a call from a trade magazine to do a webinar and they're going to pay him $300 to talk about his show he didn't design it he didn't initially program it but he took it out for about a year so he has a year on that show file can he collect additional money to talk about the process of that show file and the and how it was delivered is that is that something he can justifiably do is tom's a programmer right now Tom is the operator. Tom's the operator. Okay. Uh, he, um, he did, he did cut trusses two and four and then he also <laughs> tripled it when they got bigger. So he does, he did a lot. He did a he, lot, but Maggie's design is still Maggie's name is still on the design and Chris is still the initial programmer, but it, it doesn't really look anything like it was when Maggie and Chris were done with it. It's definitely a Tom conglomeration yep can tom accept money to talk about how that came to be i don't i don't see a problem with it i, I especially if tom does the right thing um which is something that i am very that i'm very thoughtful of that when i post up shots like say on my ignition instagram 
right? I list <laughs> the key players. I list production designer, lighting mm -hmm. designer, programmer, director, video director, content creator. Okay. Right. Um, so I'm very um, uh, um, thoughtful when I do things like that. So as long as Tom is coming from the right place and go, uh, this was a, you know, this was a Maggie joint that was, she was the original uh, designer on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and my boy Chris Los came in and programmed it with us. And then I want to talk about the, the operation of this thing of where we started and where we ended because it did morph a lot over the course of the tour. Dan wasn't doing okay. so well. We sent up charges to report to talk about all that and how he dealt with that. We tripled the rig because the band then blew up and oh my God, everything was great. And I think as long as credit is given where credit is due, I don't see it. I don't see any problem with that, you know, because especially Maggie and Chris both are going to know that in the 12 months since they have even put their hands on a console or touched this rig or a drawing of this rig, that there has been a lot of metamorphosis that has happened. Mm -hmm. And they should be respectful of the fact that he was the one dealing with the daily grind of this thing too. And the decreasing and increasing of the rig and the changing of the songs and the programming and everything that he had to deal with. I don't see any problem okay. with that. I, I tend to agree. I think that as long as when he puts it on his website, he says, Maggie, lighting designer, Chris Lowe's yeah. programmer, Tom, lighting director. I, I don't see any problem with him being fully, fully compensated for his knowledge in that regards. Mm -mm, I don't either. And I wouldn't begrudge anybody to do it either. As long as uh, they're giving the right credit where credit is yeah. due. Um, you know, and I'm not talking, you know, if you go on social media and you post up the end of the night shot or whatever, you're going to post yeah. up some, some regular shot. You don't need to tag everybody in it. You don't need to hashtag everything in it. Right. Um, I'm just talking about anything that you're, you know, for me, anything that you're going to use to try to generate income that that show you did not design that you programmed, you better let people know that you didn't design that, that you programmed it. Right. You know, I, I was doing a, um, a webinar recently where I used a shot from a show that I programmed as an ad ad panel for it on social media and all, you know, all the wording, everything in the center of it. And then down at the bottom, I made sure that I had designer and I was programmer director on that show. And then the photo credit all at the bottom, because I want to make it clear that I didn't design that show. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine did. He knocked it out of the park and I got to program it and operate it. And that was rad but I don't want there to be any um, misconceptions of something that I did or did not design. And I yeah. don't want to be misrepresented either. I don't want a horrible shot going out <laughs> of a show that I, maybe I did work on. That was a terrible picture that says that I was the designer of the programmer. I also yeah. don't want somebody tagging me in a post where there is an awful shot of a show that I had nothing to do with. And the, the, the photography is terrible. It's a horribly lit show. It's not, has nothing to do with me, but my name is in there because I'm going to go speak somewhere. I'm going to uh, have a online chat with somebody about something. I don't want to be misrepresented myself. So mm -hmm. I think all those things are, are super important. You know, a friend of mine made this analogy recently and yes, this is a bit pious to say, but he was having to explain it to somebody. And he was like, listen, if you're working at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and you're going to go see a Picasso exhibit and the advertisements have a Monet in it, well, it's not really representing Picasso's art now, is it? Right. 
It's not. And uh, yes, no, we're not Picasso. We're not Monet. Yes, I get all that. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, but the work is misrepresented mm-hmm. and you don't want somebody's art being misrepresented. I wouldn't want to see right. uh, some 41 get, I don't know where that name came from, by the way, that was just a quick grab, uh, be credited <laughs> for a song that Blink-182 did. Even though right. Not very similar. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want that, you know, they wouldn't want that to happen either. So you just got to make sure that the art is being represented by who actually created it. Yep. I think if Tom is listening to this podcast that he's going to have a pretty good career, he's going to understand what his, I think so the ethics of his role. And uh, however, if I ever get an email from Tom with, with like a email signature saying lighting designer for doodly do, <laughs> then then we're gonna have a, a problem if, if he gloves come off absolutely if he goes on a webcast and says, oh yeah i designed this i programmed this i you know maggie was around but you know i didn't like anything she did or and chris's yeah, program kinda, i tossed that all out then <laughs> then the gloves come off then you can kind of think about it as like you know tom was the curator of the art exhibit you know what I mean? And think about it that way. Tom does have knowledge and, and a realm to be able to speak about the art. And he should be able to go freely yeah. speak about the art. And with that, he's going to talk about the artist and the painter who helped create that art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen very recently where somebody has put a, a title on themselves that I don't think that they've earned. And I think they need to be very, very careful about that one because... It wasn't their title to begin with. It's not their title now. And I'm a little bit concerned for that person. And Interesting. Um, I think it's very, especially now. It's such a digital age, man. The it's stuff such a digital so age. Far. It's such a digital age. Everything's caught on camera. Everybody knows everything. It's all over social media. Yeah. I used to have, I, there was a buddy of mine who used to come tell us, oh, well, he was on that tour and there's no way to prove that he wasn't, but guys that were actually on the tour looking at each other, I never saw that dude. And there was like 30 people on the entire tour and they would call him out on it all the time. Cause he's taking credit for tours. He was never on. You can't do that anymore. Don't be a yeah, the digital has bitten me in the butt too, man. I, I've tried things and I, I've experimented and I tried to, it's so easy to misrepresent yourself. And I, I, I didn't do it intentionally. The first time, but uh, yeah, it, it'll bite you in the butt. You got to, those are lumps that we all have to learn. I've never, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I've never had to learn that because I have always been very conscious of making sure credits uh, yeah. given where credit is most certainly due because I don't want to be, I don't want to repre- misrepresent myself. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And I don't want to misrepresent the people that I work around and work with. And I want them to respect me as much as I respect them. Uh, and by doing that is giving them the credit. That is why you're the, you were the perfect person to have for this topic. Why, thank you. So. I, love, I love how we talked about all of this and not lights. <laughs> it's refreshing. <laughs> we talked about everything but lights, per se. I don't think we mentioned one single manufacturer uh-uh. or fixture type or anything here. Uh-uh. So. Uh-uh. That's great. Always a pleasure, brother. I thank you so much for digging deeper with me. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, wise words here that people should really listen to. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. And I'm really glad that we got an opportunity to, to do one of these that we weren't surrounded by so many people at NAM. <laughs> Absolutely. Was that was, that fun. was fun. Awesome, brother. Thank you very much. 